we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the show where the monster of schlock carries us into the grotto of sex and violence to have its way with us. <laughs> my name is Orlando and I'm joined by my roommate, co-host and guest, Ned. How are you, Ned? Oh, I am so much better now that I have been carried to the grotto of sex and violence. Um, I am I am ready. I am ready. Have you ever spent time in a grotto? I, I'm not even sure I fully know what a grotto is. I, I would say that a grotto is like a a, a cave? cave pool, like a you know water, like water, like a nice little pool area in a cave type setting. Okay. Yeah. May, may, maybe you might have crossed paths with a grotto here or there at some point in my life. Well, yeah. Crossed paths with the grotto. Yes, look, I, I, I would not be one to disparage the grotto in any shape or form. I don't think I've ever swam inside a cave, but I've definitely be, been inside caves that had water in it. When I was in Puerto Rico, there's this huge cave that, that has like a pond in it. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. fun. It sounds fun. Yeah. A lot of people go like swimming in caves. Yeah. Um, we're watching a great movie today. It's a classic. Mm-hmm. It's an old black and white goodie from the 50s. It's called Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh boy. It's a 1954 American black and white monster horror film. And it's one that's produced by Universal International. In fact, this is one of the Universal monster movies that, you yeah. know, Dracula, Frankenstein. Those were all. Yeah, these are like the greats, right? Like the 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 sort of yeah, like the 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 great the great elder statesmen mm-hmm. of the of, of horror of, of horror creature films. And now all of those other movies, they were they were released a lot earlier. Like sometimes I, it was like a decade or maybe even two decades before. This is actually the latest uh, entry in the Universal horror monster movie, um, the Universal monsters series, 1954. And what's interesting is like. In the 50s, you know, monster movies, they tended to have, like, you know, ecological bents or talk about nuclear power in some way. That seemed to be, like, what the conversation was about. And, you know, rightfully so, because, you know, we just bombed the shit out of Japan, so everyone was talking about nuclear. Yeah, I know, that's a thing. You definitely can't get away from that in terms of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, even, though, even though I'm not sure that would be, that wouldn't be universal. because Godzilla That's not universal, but it is part of that same, you know, tradition the 50s of, like, monster movie tradition. Yeah, well, right? and like Cold War anxiety. I right. Think, as, as a whole, mm-hmm. for sure. So that's going to be really interesting to talk about. Now, this film was directed by Jack Arnold. It stars Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, Richard Denning, Antonio Moreno, Nestor Paiva, and Whit Bissell. And the story concerns a strange prehistoric beast that lurks in the depths of the Amazonian jungle and a group of scientists who try to capture the animal and bring it back to civilization for study. Have you ever seen this movie before? I have not. Have you ever seen any of the Universal Monster movies? Honestly, no, I haven't. Again, wow. just like since I'm since I'm not a 
I, I, I never really was much of a horror person, mm-hmm. so uh, so yeah, I just I never found myself kind of seeking out any even any of those wow. uh, those classics. Well, we're gonna rectify that today. We're gonna awesome. watch this. We're gonna start you off with a really good one. I, this is one yeah, of my this one's a, yeah. This one's a, a classic. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. And you're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about a lot of the films that came after that this clearly influenced. Um, yeah. And maybe you know talk a little bit about films that are ripped it off <laughs> i don't know we'll see yeah. um but also it, there's a lot of interesting things in this movie as well i think that this is also part of the tradition of um the monster wants girl subgenre of horror yeah which there seems to be a lot i feel like it's not just monsters i feel like that you know in in the 70s we get the slasher genre and that was like killer once girl. Yeah. So I feel like horror movies are just always interested in like awful things doing awful awful thi- awful things doing awful things to beautiful women. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, another interesting thing about this movie is that when it was released, um, it was at the tail end of the first wave of 3D craze that this movie had, uh, that this that this country had. Uh, America went through two distinct phases of 3D craze. The first one was in the 1950s. The second one was in the early in the early 2000s, right after Avatar, James yeah. Cameron's Avatar, and then it just exploded. And now we're like, oh, 3D, what? Yeah, nobody cares about it anymore. Yeah, it's kind of more just like commonplace now. Mm-hmm. It feels like, but but yeah, I remember when Avatar came out. That like, yeah, it blew up, and mm-hmm. it just yeah, we kind of came back to the sense of like, oh yeah, it has to be 3D. I have mm-hmm. to see it in 3D, uh, even though I very rarely did. Right. Yeah. I, I don't choose a lot to, to see movies in 3D. I, I no. prefer the 2D medium. Same. Now, because this movie was filmed specifically for that medium, um, what's interesting is that even we'll discuss how, how you know, it translates to 2D. But the, but the interesting thing is that most people actually saw it in 2D. Okay. Because... Again, it was at the tail end of the craze. So there were only like a few 3D theaters and they were like in bigger cities. Wow. So the people who went to see this like in your hometown cinema, they, they weren't, they didn't have any access to 3D glasses or technology there, or, you know, projectors. So they watched this movie in 2D. Even yeah. though it was released for 3D, most people didn't, never saw it in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll discuss how you know that kind of translates on this end and think about that and uh there's a lot of like cool things in this movie um it's from the 50s so there's not a lot of like graphic violence or sex but there's definitely some violence and sex in it as we will see so having set the stage are you ready to watch creature from the black lagoon let us go forth all right, guys. So if you guys want to watch Creature of the Black Lagoon, it's available on Peacock. That's the new NBC streaming platform. It's available on Peacock Premium. That means that if you only have the free tier, you won't be able to see it. But if you have the premium one with ads or without ads, then you can watch it on there. If you don't have a subscription to Peacock Premium, you can always rent it. It's available on Amazon, Fandango. It's a great movie. It's a classic. So watch it and then come back. We'll be back in a second and we'll play some trivia and discuss the movie. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex. 
are back. Mm. We just watched Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm. First reactions. It's uh, it was an interesting one. Mm. I um, yeah, I was I was glad to see this one. Um, obviously. You know, being as early of a horror film as it was, it's clearly uh, something of a foundational document. So we yeah. were seeing a lot of a lot of, you know, tried and true horror tropes as done for the first time right. in a way. Yeah, um, it, yeah it doesn't it loses a lot of its edginess. Yeah. But you can see kind of like how maybe that freaked out audiences way back. Exactly. When. Yeah. Well, and, and I would have to say I, I definitely give the film a fair bit of credit as far as like the beginning shots of the creature before we see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like when it's just the hand coming out of the lake. Like I was actually like that first shot of the hand of the lake complete with the loud like you know, creepy right. music yeah. thing actually was pretty effective. And I thought like really did kind of set the tone in a cool way. Mm-hmm. And establishing um, the less is more rule. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I was a little bit disappointed in fact that like, um, it felt like they revealed the face of the monster, a little too early Mm. um, because it's kind of in the midst of uh, the first dive that both uh, Mike and Dave go on. Mark and Dave, sorry. Mm -hmm. That both Mark and Dave go on and it sort of is like just a few incidental shots where we happen to see the whole of the creature's body Mm -hmm. and I felt like considering that we then go beyond that sequence to the sequence where they rofen all the hell out of the river and then the creature actually finally surfaces and i was like well okay that was actually more of a moment because it's also the moment that the people on the boat are seeing it for the first time so why not why not actually have that be the moment that we see the creature's face for the first time i thought that would have maybe made that moment a little more impactful um i also was actually kind of impressed with how they handled the underwater shooting. There was a lot of this movie. There that is was, a lot, and it's pretty gorgeous. Yeah, they did a really good job, I think, with a lot of that shooting. And, like, I think, you know, obviously, you know, film equipment back then was a lot bigger and a lot yeah. clunkier and probably a lot more difficult to keep safe underwater and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So considering... I mean, I I don't even know what the limitations would have been back then, but, like, considering that I'm sure that the limitations would have been much greater back then than, like, today, Mm -hmm. um, I was really impressed with, like, how much coverage they were able to get and how well they were able to, for the most part, kind of keep a sense of continuity in those sequences. Um, And also because, like, they have, like, outright, you know chase sequences and fight sequences mm-hmm. that are happening underwater yeah, which are which are tough to pull off under the best of circumstances and so i thought they did a pretty good job of like making sure that even if you have some of those like long static shots where like you can only do so much with your performers like they they did a good job of them like making sure the music was more dynamic on top of it to you know kind of still keep the keep the action and the intensity of the moments a little more heightened so i thought like that was that was kind of cool to see Mm -hmm. and i was i was i was actually a little more impressed with with that than I anticipated being. Mm-hmm. Um, well, an interesting thing to me, uh, we were talking about how this film is like an art, art typical um, example of the fifties horror film. Yeah. And uh, it, it, there, there were a bunch of obviously fifties horror films and a lot of them were released in 3d before this movie was, 
But it's interesting that this is kind of the one that stands the test of time, like at least like as far as like American fifties monster movie. Um, like it's the one that, like if you think of what is a the a great fifties monster movie, you think of this movie, and I yeah. think that a lot of that has to do with like the uh, effectiveness of the creature design, even like the 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 creature, and you think about like the. Uh, logistics of having that suit on and still having to move gracefully underwater. Yeah, definitely. And and I would I would say that like you know uh, my immersion broke a fair bit. Like the more of the monster we saw, because like it was clearly you know a person in a big in a big suit. Right. Um. So so it it didn't look it didn't quite look as otherworldly and it didn't necessarily move as otherworldly as I would have hoped it would have. Um, but again, that's, I think you can definitely chalk that up to just like limitations mm-hmm. and, and also just cause like, you know, it's, it's one of the first big monster movies. So and they you know, do, they're, they still, they're say- still building up. They're still kind of building up the cinematic language for right. how to, how to make monsters look monster like and they so. do kind of like call that out in the film when they when they describe him as a human exactly so, a man know. fish and mm-hmm. stuff like that so um so yeah no i i definitely think it, it it actually proved more effective in many moments than i expected um i also uh was a uh, <laughs> a kind of a you know i i was a you know disappointed in our our scientists and their whole <laughs> approach to science as a whole um especially considering the movie starts with like a cliff notes version of the big bang yeah and it's kind of world. kind of melding creationism and evolution yeah yeah it was it was interesting yeah how they decide to start with like well, I think that it kind of says everything that like they start with the, you know, those those first lines in the Bible. Right. But then go on to kind of describe the million years yeah. process of the earth, you know, heating and cooling mm-hmm. and life evolving and stuff like that. So it's it's clear that we're working with a bit of a muddied palette of yeah. of vague scientific ideas that aren't necessarily, you know, nuanced and well realized. But then that but opening then is really epic. It's really nice. Yeah. It's a great, yeah, it's a great opening sequence. And you can kind of, like, there's a lot of things flying at the screen. Like, that would have been cool in 3D, probably. Yeah, that's a thing, yeah. Yeah, there were definitely many moments I was like, ooh, yeah, that would definitely be a 3D shot. Especially, Mm -hmm. like, the multiple harpoon shots right at your face. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's 3D. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, but then, but then kind of the flip side of it being that once the scientists are there, like their, their attitude towards preservation Mm -hmm. of their environment is dubious at best, considering how willing they were to then, you know, basically carpet bomb Mm -hmm. the entire fucking river with a drug to, uh, you know, paralyze fish, which is just like, I, I don't think any scientist worth their salt would, would be even a little bit comfortable with the idea of just like disrupting the natural ecosystem like that, especially if it's an ecosystem where a, you know, where a prehistoric, you know, being has survived. Like why on earth would you 
even touch that habitat without making sure that you could do it without minimal damage. And like one of the scientists is just flat out like intent on on hunting it down. Yeah, yeah, the one yeah, that was that was an int- that was interesting yeah, Mark was again. thirsty for blood. Yeah, well and and cuz like usually in like horror and science fiction um there will be like one or two characters or like there there will be like a subset of the cast that's designated to be the voice of science, quote mm-hmm. unquote. So it was interesting that basically all of the characters, with the exception of like the locals who are helping them mm-hmm. to navigate the, you know, in the country, um, basically all of the all of the main characters are are scientists. Yeah. So it was interesting that we don't necessarily have a singular quote unquote voice of science. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the flip side of it is that one of the scientists is is money grubbing and only cares about getting the getting the financing right. and then subsequently is like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking kill this thing. And I'm like, <laughs> are you? I mean, I don't know. They again, this it's one of those things where it's like considering how many scientists are in the crew, like you know, maybe be a little more detailed about like right. what the individual, what their individual specialties are, so that you can get That's a, a more, point. A, you know, get a get a more clear picture of why we're having, you know, why they're butting heads. That's a so good point. Much. It wasn't and, like like when we watch a movie like The Thing, where every every member of the cast has a, a very specific designated occupation. Exactly. And this yeah. one doesn't really have. That, yeah, they don't really right? do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, another interesting thing, like so, at the beginning of the of the uh, episode I talked about how I, I mentioned two but really there are like three major tropes in 50s monster movies or horror movies sci-fi horror at least yeah. um, there's the environmentalist angle mm-hmm. um, and there's the nuclear angle and then there's the extraterrestrial angle mm-hmm. um, this one's definitely I think more in the in the environmental horror group yeah but it's interesting that um, that the creature is very alien-like in appearance, so it kind of yeah. does pull from those tropes a little bit as well. Yeah, and 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 I and I was interested in that one line that uh, Dave has where he does talk about, you know, they they have multiple references to the idea of exploring space um, in the film, and then Dave has that one line where he says. Um, where he says, like, well, you know, we're, you know, we're open to the idea of there being other forms of life out in the universe. So why is it not equally likely that mm-hmm. there are forms of life that we have yet to discover here? So right. it's like they're, they're they they definitely kind of were, you know, pressing a little bit into that mm-hmm. into that extraterrestrial trope. But like like and sort of. Yeah, like they they kind of are coming at it from that angle, even though predominantly it's much more about like, oh, it's it's a prehistoric thing. It's mm-hmm. it's of this, you know, foreign environment, which right, which bears further discussion as well. Yeah. And like the whole theme of of like for basically foreign interference into the pristine natural world and what how that fucks up. everything. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing I was I was like kind of uh, I was like kind of intrigued by like how. How big and sciencey the movie seemed to be up front, and yet in a way there is something to be said that maybe there is a bit of an anti-science bent yeah, to the film's mm-hmm. to the film's point of reference, and 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 that it, it maybe is actually a little bit like science, like <laughs> science is maybe not that good for the environment, right. and, at least and, not this type of science. Uh, yeah, certainly not this type of science. Certainly not when you're you know 
fucking yeah carpet bombing the river i don't want to get the the, the, i don't want the discussion to run away a little bit too far for us because you already kind of answered the first question from the trivia so let's go let's go into the trivia are you ready for some uh, creature of the black lagoon trivia absolutely all right so as always this is going to be five questions and a bonus the questions go in order from least difficult to most difficult and the grand prize is bragging rights Mm-hmm. Um, here's question number one. You already answered this, so I'm going to ask it anyway. So David compares the possibility of the existence of Gilman to the existence of what? To the existence of alien life in the in the universe. Yeah, creatures from outer space. Creatures from outer space, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, it's uh, an interesting thing about the Gilman, and that's his official name as a, as a monster. He's the Gilman. The Gilman. Although that name is never used in the movie itself. No. <laughs> um, but it, what's interesting is two different stuntmen were used to portray the creature. Uh, and therefore, there were two different suits made for the movie. Now, Rico Browning played the creature when it was in the water and he wore a lighter suit. And then Ben Chapman played the creature when it was out of the water and it had a darker suit. The one, even though both versions were green, the one that was a little lighter was also a little bit more closer, closer to like yellow green than actual green. Yeah. And then the one outside was darker because they, they figured that the one that's a little lighter in tone was easier to capture underwater when they were filming that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, water will swallow up light mm-hmm. pretty easily. So Rico Browning is the one that's responsible for all like the graceful swimming. He's underwater for most of the time. They And they never actually interacted with each other because all of the outside shots or out out out-of-water shots um, were were done in Florida. That wasn't in the Amazon. That was actually like in Florida somewhere. And then all of the underwater stuff was done in a tank in California. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, something really uh, interesting happened with Rico when he was... A lot of things happened interesting with him when he was like shooting the underwater stuff. Um... There was one point where he had to make an emergency bathroom visit and he'd been underwater for several minutes so he breached the water in full costume next to an unsuspecting mother and a young daughter who were nearby and he said that they when they saw him they fled in terror and he recalled that he t- they took off and he never saw them again. <laughs> That's funny. All right, you got that one. That one was super easy. Let's go to question number two. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a probably the second most prominent female presence in the movie. What's the name of the riverboat that the expedition uses? Oh, 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 oh no, oh no. Uh, I, I, I like noticed that its name was on the side of it's the everywhere. thing. And it's, yeah, it's so many shots and, and somehow I, oh, I didn't, I didn't note it. It's a Spanish I, name. Oh my God. Spanish. Mira? M-I-R-A? No, but it is a four letter word. It is the Rita. Rita. R-I-T-A. Damn it. The Rita. Yeah. I'm not even sure if Mira is a Spanish name, so... Mira is... A, I mean, Mira definitely means look in Spanish. I think there are, there are like, Mirabelle and Miras in Spanish. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> I would say so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's another... Like, we talked about, like, how this is kind of a primer for other... 
uh, monster movies and horror movies and like having the whole thing about an expedition on a boat. You mean, yeah. come on, like we, Absolutely. we see that in movies like Jaws, for example, with the orca and a lot of great, uh, another Amazonian uh, creature feature, uh, Anaconda is about people on a boat in the Amazon. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and I guess, uh, I guess complete, complete with the very salty captain, you know, yeah. very grizzled, uh, maybe has to wear a hat of some sort and mm-hmm. always chewing on a cigar. Right. And- <laughs> that kind of uh, seemed very African queenish, you know, Humphrey Bogart in, in, in the African <laughs> queen, he kind of looked the same as Captain Lucas in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with a cigar and stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the next question. Question number three. Uh, near the beginning of the movie, when we're first being introduced to the characters, why did David wait at the five meter mark before coming out of the water? Uh, to, I forget what the term is, but basically like uh, adjusting to the pressure, like sort of depressurizing. Correct, uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, she said that he was getting used to the changing pressure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a device which, although interesting, is never really used in the rest of the movie. Yeah, I was intrigued by that, and specifically that um, there's, like, a moment where the two guys, like, come out of the water quickly, and mm-hmm. she specifically is like, you came out too fast, right. and then But then there was no, never... no consequences from that. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah, because I, I think, like, the fact that they have to stay in the water before they can get out would have been, like a perfect opportunity to have the monster like attack them in that moment. I I feel like that too. I'm a very big proponent as a amateur writer myself. I'm a very big proponent of the, of the Chekhov's gun, you know, um, uh, plot device where if you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third act. And very early on, we're given this information of acclimating, which is an actual thing. Divers have to do that or else, you know, they'll, 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 I'm not gonna have yeah, a good time. You know? Yeah, they'll, they'll have the bends or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. You have to. You have to come out slowly, as as, as I. But understand it, yeah, it. it's not. It's not really paid off, which I found yeah, kind of disappointing. So not so much. Yeah. No. All right. Let's go to the next question. Question number four. You're doing great. Now you've only missed one so far. Yeah. But uh, you, you're still doing good. Mm-hmm. Here comes this one. You already oh, kind of answered this one as well. What do the expedition drop into the lagoon to drive the gill man out of the water? Uh, I believe they said it was rofinol. It's close. It's Rohypnol? No, rodenon. Rodenon. God damn it. Okay. Cool. Rotenon. R-O-T-E-R-N-O-N-E. Ah, well... Big oops. Big but, oops. But it's, yeah, you, you had the spirit of it. It's definitely, like, in the same vein. It's trying to, like, knock out. Yeah, well, thing. I guess, I, I, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't have been the right thing, though, too, because, um, yeah, because I guess I guess they, they talk about, like, how it paralyzes, right. which, which is not necessarily what, what Rofinol actually right. does. So. Right, eh. Rodenon. So Rodenon is an actual thing. It's an actual substance. It's an insecticide, pesticide, and pesticide. A lot of sides there. Uh, it's derived, like he, they were talking about how um, it's derived from a plant. It's actually specifically derived from uh, many plants, but more prominently from the stems of the jicama plant. Okay. And rodenon, unlike what they were saying in the film, it doesn't just knock fish out. It actually kills them. It's a pesticide. It kills fish. Okay, so yeah, like really fucking damaging then if 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 we were going to say that the universe actually right. adheres to the laws of yeah, right. 
Uh, in fact, it kills fish by inhibiting cellular respiration and the ability to use dissolved oxygen. So in effect, what it does is that it causes the fish to suffocate. When they're exposed to a lethal rotten concentrations, they move to the surface and gasp for oxygen as the water is now oxygen depleted. And then this allows them to be netted by the fishermen. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And again, it's like even in the movie, you're seeing a bunch of fish floating at the surface right, like but- as a result of it. So it's like, yeah, clearly they're they're not going to do too well and probably won't survive the ordeal. I mean, as far as like if this guy, the Gilman, is like amphibious and is like half fish, half human or whatever, as far as like plans go, that is a pretty sound plan to drive him out of the water like that. But at what cost to yeah. the environment? Yeah. Well, and also though, like... I guess it's it seems like he's able to last for a fairly decent amount of time outside of the water too. Yeah. Um so so it, it begs the question of whether, you know, gills are, are his only whether he whether he can only breathe by taking in water through the gills like fish do, or right. whether he also has a uh, an additional layer to his respiratory system. He seems system like that, fairly amphibious is what I would say. Yeah. So mm-hmm. A lot of questions. Yeah. Okay, here comes question number five. All right. This is the last question. Yeah, so I've only got three, right? You only got two. Only got two. Not doing good. Not doing very good. Okay. So you need this one or the bonus or both. The fossil found in the deposit dates back to which prehistoric age? Ooh, it was the... It begins with a D. Yes. And it was uh, the... 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 the Devon era? The Devian era? The Devian uh, era? You're so close. The Devonian? So Div- oh, you're so close. It's Devonian. The Devonian! Ugh, this is this happened with the last. Yeah. This happened with the last quiz. Yep. Where I missed where I put an I in where there mm-hmm. should have been an O. Yep. God. It's not Divinian, it's Devonian. I, I must have I.O. blindness or something. Like, goddamn. The Devonian age happened during the Pleistocene epoch. And it's known as the age of fish because it was the time when all of a sudden there was an explosion in the diversity of water creatures. Yeah. So that was actually a pretty cool angle that this, this uh, gill man comes from the Devonian age. Yeah, nice touch. I like that. And in a weird case of um, life imitating art, Jenny Clack from the University of Cambridge discovered a fossil amphibian found in the remnants of what was once a fetid swamp and named it Eucreta melanolaminus, which is Latin for the creature from the Black Lagoon. Fuck yeah. That's cool. (laughs) That's cool. I'm down with that. All right, so you only got two out of five there. You didn't do very well in that quiz, but we still got the bonus. I have no rights to bragging We still got the bonus here to contend with. The bonus, as as usual, strays from the world of the film, and it's about director Jack Arnold. Mm -hmm. He is also known for directing most of the episodes for which classic 70s sitcom which features a blended family with six children. A blended family? It's a sitcom from the 70s about a blended family with six children. Very famous sitcom. 
blended how? Like, as in, as in, like, <laughs> I honestly can't like answer that question. Multiracial? Is that what we're talking about? I or? honestly can't answer that question because that's literally the theme song. <laughs> okay, well then, I, I the, okay, I'm gonna assume that blended doesn't necessarily mean like biracial or multiracial or anything. So not I'm, necessarily. I'm, I'm gonna say the Brady Bunch. Correct! There we go. <laughs> it's the story of a, a lovely, lovely lady. lady. <laughs> uh, yeah. Correct. Um, yeah, he, he actually directed most of those episodes. And in fact, in one episode, which centered on the boys raiding the girls' slumber party, Bobby Brady wears a Gill Man mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Good for so you. So you got the bonus. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay. Um, nice. All right. So well, that's yeah. good. That helps a little bit. But uh, yeah, again, I, I, I'm not going to say that I have much in the way of bragging rights <laughs> as regards this film. Uh, this film is actually um, a beloved film among a lot of different people. It was uh, Stephen King's first film that he remembers seeing. Nice. Uh, director Ingmar Bergman, who, of course, is a legendary uh, Swedish director who is known for directing Wild Strawberries, um, The Seventh Seal, a bunch of great movies. He made it a tradition to watch this movie every year on his birthday. Nice. It was one of his favorite films. And there's a lot of... Th- of, of, of Again, we were talking about the Orca and Jaws, when Kay is swimming underwater uh, and she's just like is is treading water and her legs are paddling and then the creature like touches her foot and then we cut to her reaction on the surface, that very much reminds me of the opening of, of Jaws. Yeah, I was going to say like, yeah, that, per- yeah, almost that whole sequence and yeah, specifically when she's doing the treading water mm-hmm. movement, like that was very Jaws, mm-hmm. like incredibly Jaws. So that was, that was fascinating um, to see that early influence. Yeah. What else did you pick up on, on the influences? Like uh, any, any movies or pop culture stuff? That- um, well, I think like the design, the design of the creature like really really I I think it's been in so many movies many movies I'm sure I haven't even seen but like I could tell you I recognized it um the the movies I specifically can think of where that creature design uh definitely had a strong influence uh is um uh the shape of water I think Uh, you know uh, definitely the shape of water has like a pretty unique take on that general template but yeah in fact in fact Guillermo del Toro when he when he came up with the idea for the shape of water he basically said that he wanted to make a version of the creature of the black lagoon where the girl and the creature ended up together. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then um, the the only other prominent one that comes to mind for me is actually from uh, our good old favorite uh, recurring talking point, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ah. <laughs> um, there's uh, the the episode where uh, the <laughs> the swim team uh, seems right. to be getting eaten alive by a creature from the Black Lagoon-esque type creature, Mm -hmm. only it turns out, in fact, that the coach has been giving the swim team uh, steroids that Mm -hmm. enhance their swimming abilities, but also has the unfortunate side effect of uh, turning them into these creatures, and over time they shed their skin and just become the creatures. Um, Now, as far as, like, cryptozoology, there there seems to be a body of 
I don't even know what you would call it, like legends, I guess, of creatures from lakes and rivers and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, like we, we uh, the Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster. Like, yeah, and I know there there are a couple of lakes even in America where you know supposedly creatures inhabited or you know whatever. And uh, what what do you think the fascination is of of like is it just because like like he was saying like water is kind of like a different kind of outer space to us. Like we can't really survive in it. Like what? what a little think? bit. Well, I, I think like the, the scene where Kay is swimming and the creatures kind of like, you know, you know, brushing up against her, like that scene actually, uh, that sequence was actually like, I think pretty effective for me mm-hmm. because like, I know that like, I, I think there's a certain amount of just like natural anxiety around getting right. too deep into the water anyway, and especially because of knowing like how much you know sort of biodiversity there is. Like, Have you ever been in the go. water and had like something brush against your? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm like thinking about like times that like uh, I, my uh, I, I had grandparents who uh, who lived in Ventnor, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, their their house was like on a bay. And uh, so I would remember, like, you know, we'd go swimming whenever the tide was high enough, but sometimes I would feel, like, maybe a little bit of, like, seaweed brush against right. my feet. Yeah. And, and it would, like, free, and I remember it, like, kind of freaked me out a little yeah. bit because, like, I'm, I'm not an outdoorsy kid anyway. So, freaky. like, nature as a whole, like, repels me. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, like, I, I definitely sort of felt that sensation of like I don't want to feel anything <laughs> on my feet when I'm in the water at all that's right. not like literally just the ground it's like if you can't see it it's it's weird like if you can't yeah. see it you don't know what it is it just it freaks you out yeah absolutely um so uh so yeah I think I think that yeah that does kind of tap into just sort of a a natural suspicion at, and and especially just because like you know the water really like you know it, it doesn't take much for it to you know to get so dark the deeper you go right. that like the light doesn't carry far mm-hmm. enough like um uh like like it would in a pool where, right like where like the bottom of a pool is lit up so um so and yeah I, and it, i think like especially up here the atlantic is not is not a very cl- clear ocean or waters you know no. like the waters are pretty murky yeah so uh so yeah, I think I think yeah, there's there there is a, a bit of a yeah, it does a little bit evoke kind of the the outer space like the great unknown, mm-hmm. but um but certainly I think uh yeah, there's there's just a, the I I know just more on a personal level anyway that like yeah, there's a little natural suspicion that I have whenever I I feel anything brush up against my feet. And I think that that scene so. that you that you pointed out is probably my favorite scene in the movie too and uh, well I don't know if you said it was your favorite but it's definitely my favorite scene in the movie and yeah. I, th- I think it's like the most effective in terms of suspense also because I think like there's not even though yeah those early scenes where you don't see the creature that much there's a, quite a bit of tension there but uh, later on it, the film does kind of lose that but in that sequence because it, it, it it's not a quick sequence we actually stay on her swimming out there and the creature observing and swimming close by and kind of mirroring her so it's it's pretty tense well and and i think what makes it so effective is that we like it's actually incredibly credible that she would have no idea right 
where he is and and how close the creature is able to actually get to mm-hmm. her um so so i think that that's that's like an example of like a good sequence for like yeah you get complete coverage and you see the creature but you but the suspense is coming off of the fact that the audience knows how right. close the creature is but the character in the situation doesn't it's kind of like the hitchcock rule like you know the audience knows more than a character does. exactly mm-hmm. yeah and 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 you build suspense that way uh, yeah the the bomb under the table right kind of, yeah <laughs> uh let's go into the first gsv segment this one's called shot 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 shots um again nothing too graphic but there is death in this movie yeah there is quite a few how many people died all at the hands of the creature of the gill man yeah exactly uh what yeah good good work um one two i'm just gonna count them off uh one two uh, then we have three, then we have four, then we have, uh, Mark, uh, and I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say five. It's five humans. Five humans? Six if you count the creature. Yes. Fair. Fair point. Yeah. But yes. You're right. Five or six, depending. Nice. Um, what were some memorable deaths? Obviously, I think like the big, the 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 hubris of Mark kind of leads to his downfall. That's kind of like what it's building up to. Yeah, I was gonna say actually, I really liked I really liked Mark's uh, death sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, was especially impressed with like um, like how how they shot the fighting with the creature yeah. and like when they're kind of like brushing against the seafloor and so like so like they're both obscured by like all the the like dirt that's getting yeah. kicked up and yeah. swirling around them i again it's like a really good example of like ways they found to like make make the shot feel dynamic and like chaotic when you're you know you kind of have to keep relatively wide coverage and mm-hmm. you can't move the camera too much and your actor's are are limited in their field of movement as well. So I was I was definitely uh pretty impressed with how that sequence kind of played out and and also like just the I really liked like the shot of like that Mark is like right near the he, he's very close to breaching uh when the creature then swoops up and yeah, drags just grabs him, him. Yeah, grabs him and just yeah. takes him down. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that that was a really good shot." Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so yeah, I think Mark's death was definitely kind of a highlight. Um, <laughs> I do kind of like. I, I mean, it's. I I don't know if like they would have been better off like just uh, dropping in some like uh, some uh, you know post post principal photography like audio of them saying oh it's flippers or poisonous or something because there uh-huh. are multiple instances where he seems to just put his flippers on people's faces and that's enough to yeah. kill them um, those are like I, supposed to be death blows i guess yeah but. a little bit like especially when like uh when uh Kay and uh, another member of the crew are like by the lifeboat z. Mm-hmm. z uh and 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 they're like by the they're like by the the exit for the cave mm-hmm. uh and and uh, the creature, you know, the guy charges at the creature and the creature just kind of puts a flipper on his face, hoists him up, right. drops him. And that's apparently the death blow right, right. there. Right. Um, so I, Overall, I feel like the out of water stuff is not as effective as the underwater stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, 
Um, but something really interesting about what you just pointed out, a severe accident was actually narrowly avoided while filming that fight between the creature and Z. Because Ben Chapman, the stuntman who acted as the creature on land, and then uh, Bernie Gozer, we have a place Z, they rehearsed the fight for several days. Um, there was a particular need for the extended rehearsal since the creature costume allowed very little mobility or visibility. Now, the scene calls for Z to swing at the creature with a machete and for the creature to grab his hand before he could complete the motion. When the scene was filmed with the actors in costume, Chapman missed Gozier's hand when he swung the machete at him. The blade connected squarely with the creature's head. Now, luckily for, for Ben Chapman, the machete was not extraordinarily sharp and the thick rubber from the, the creature's head prevented Chapman from receiving a serious injury. Oh, jeez. But, uh, yeah. Wait, this, uh, they said the machete wasn't particularly sharp, as in they still kind of used a real machete for right. it? Right, uh, yeah. Oh, man. And as we see in the scene, though, ends up in the film, he does connect with the hand and then the machete goes flying through the air. Yeah. <laughs> but that's still kind of scary, I think. Yeah, I, I, would, <laughs> I would not be thrilled. And again, because I think like, you know, back, you know, back then um, there wa- there weren't as many safeguards. Right. <laughs> um, you know, like filmmakers took lots of risks. I mean, obviously, like, you know, we talk about Buster Keaton, for instance, right. who literally fucking, you know, rides on a train's front and yeah. and sends the train careening off the thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, um, yeah, daredevils, daredevils. Yeah. Real daredevils. Um, um, it's interesting, though, going back to Mark a little bit, like that seems to be like the only death by a major character. I feel like all the other deaths are basically red shirt deaths. Yeah. Red shirt deaths. And and in particular, like red shirts who are local to right. uh, the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely the whole horror trope of, you know, minority characters mm. getting killed first is ever present um, i'm sure we'll discuss that I, i'm sure more, we'll, we'll touch but, that <laughs> in a, a couple of seconds let's go to the next segment before we delve too deeply into that absolutely this next one's called boob tube there is no nudity in this movie but it is a pretty sexy movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, yeah, the attire of Kay uh, certainly highlights her physique, mm-hmm. especially the I, I guess iconic. Also, would be a good word to say the iconic one piece white bathing suit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and 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 also even even beyond Kay, uh, I was uh, I was impressed with uh, how much male body yeah. we got going on in this movie. Right. Um, uh, and. And uh, we we talked about this a little bit before we started. Uh, that I, uh, I I I found it to be a interesting and and it couldn't possibly not have been deliberate choice that like it, the the two males who show the most skin throughout the film are basically like the two male characters who are butting heads the mm-hmm. most throughout the entire film yeah, and seem to alphas. have this yeah seem to have this like you know yeah this like constant like. Yeah, just this constant conflict with each other, and and part of that is some sort of like sexual tension there, right? I yeah, there. I I felt like especially when they do have the fight in the in the boats right. uh, it, below deck, mm-hmm. um, that uh, yeah, there there it felt like a, a yeah, there there was a touch of homoeroticism mm-hmm. to be sure there, and and uh, so not um, just between them, but I, but a triangle also. It seems like maybe like Mark is not too keen on on David and Kay's relationship because it, it's implied that he has an interest in Kay beyond professional. Yeah, I would say that too. It's, yeah, it is interesting 
saying that they they definitely seem to go. They seem to hint at at the yeah at there being uh, a tension that exists between all three of them for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and uh, yeah, that that was interesting. I think. Uh, it, it would have been nice to maybe have a little more interaction between Mark and Kay because I felt like a, a fair amount of the information around that was delivered in the conversation between Kay and yeah, um, it's expository. And, yeah. Ex- expository yeah well and 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 specifically in that conversation with uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name now but the guy with the pipe uh, Edwin Dr. Edwin, Edwin. Uh, Dr. Edwin um that that most of the information regarding that situation seems to come in the conversation between Kay and Edwin, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, allowing it to be a moment, you know, more moments between her and Mark, showing it, us, not telling it. Exactly, yeah. So that that would have maybe helped us a little more, and and you know, made it, may, you know, just give it give it a little more oomph, a little. I more agree. A little, a little more drama would have really helped out there. I feel like the best horror movies are the ones that. Um, are are very heavy and strong with the human drama anyway. Yeah. And I feel like this movie kind of skimmed that a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, again, most most of the drama seems to really only take place between Mark and Dave. Right. Um, And, and again, they go pretty far with how how big the conflict gets, Mm -hmm. considering they literally come to blows. But uh, at the same time, like, uh, yeah, it was pretty it, it didn't it didn't have a lot of there, there. There didn't feel like a lot of tension among the group. You didn't have right. as much of a sense of like different people wanting different things. It mainly seemed to be like, should I stay or should I go? Right. And, um, and just with those two being the pillars of that and then, you know different people kind of sort of falling in line with right. one or the other. Absolutely. Um, I, it was interesting. So there, obviously there's like a, the competition element between Mark and David, but something that kind of struck me when I was watching it this time is like, even though they're clearly not fans of each other, whenever they are, they are in situations together, they do still have each other's back to an extent. Yeah. Which a I little thought bit. was pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it was an interesting dynamic mm-hmm. between the two of them. Like that's a thing. Like I think um I think the dynamic yeah, ultimately the dynamic between the two of them was wasn't boring per se, and I certainly didn't mean to give that impression, but but uh but yeah, uh, yeah, there there seemed to be many different layers to their relationship and the fact that even though things are very frenetic between the two of them, like yeah, ultimately they do kind of stick together when it counts Mm -hmm. um and and it happens a couple times like that they they both really seem to have to team up i do want to talk about Kay. uh obviously um she is our main our only female character in the movie i mean yeah rita is not really a female character she's just the boat yeah (laughs) yeah so so Kay's our only female presence in the movie and i find it really interesting that they the movie does establish her as a knowledgeable, capable person, but then kind of relegates her to a damsel in distress, largely. I agree. Uh, 
and again, like part of it, it, it ties in a little bit with my frustration that we don't have a better sense of like who the individual scientists are mm-hmm. and if they have like specific fields of specialty. Right. Um, but yeah, like they, it, I was I was intrigued with the fact that Edwin, again specifically in that scene between Kay and Edwin, um, they 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 go to great lengths to kind of explain like, oh yeah, you that she's you know she's made a substantive contribution to their yeah. operations as a whole and. and and is, you know, uh, an incredibly capable individual. And David alludes to the fact that Mark takes credit for her discoveries, too. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think it is it is interesting that, again, it's a show-don't-tell thing, mm-hmm. that when it comes to actually giving us action on screen and and you know moving the story forward through the character relationships, Kay really really is in the backseat for yeah. pretty much the whole thing and pretty much seems to only be there to be imperiled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that uh, you know. She's basically the object of lust for three characters in the film, one of which is the monster. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's weird that, again, that's a common trope with monster movies, especially the older monster movies, is that the monster is in, is in love with a girl, uh, and it's interesting to me that even though I feel like other movies do a better job of showing like the moment of infatuation, this movie just kind of like takes it for granted that of course the monster would be after the girl. A little bit, yeah. I think uh, the 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 swimming sequence, like I think, hints at it that's a little the strongest bit. And, one. And, yeah, that's like where, but, but, where we but get she, it. But the monster is interested before that. I feel. I think because when she's standing on the bank uh, on the cave and he's like reaching for her, not at the cave. Uh, when oh, they, oh, oh, yeah, at the, at the first at the campsite. First yeah. campsite. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I hear that. Although again, I, I'm not sure how much of that is just he's reaching for the <laughs> he's just doing the, the monster thing for the war for the warmest morsel within reach right. or whatever. But um, but yeah, no, I think um, yeah, having that sequence where the monster is sort of stalking her definitely, I think, is trying to convey that there is like there is more to the monster's interest in her. Um, I. Uh, I was a little perplexed just by like what the monster was really what the monster really wanted as a whole, because it doesn't seem like the monster eats any of the people that it kills. Um, It just seems it just seems to get out of the water, kill people Mm -hmm. and then leave. I mean, so because the movie is, again, like an environmental horror film. Like, I would say that his main, and I'm not saying this is clear in the movie, but I would say that his main objective is to protect its territory. Its territory. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, it's so, so it, but then it, it does get a little bit muddied by, yeah, not necessarily being as clear as it could right. have been about why it then seems to have this interest in K. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it was interesting. Um, and again, I think, you know, it's, it's probably fine to let it be more hinting and let it be more something that audiences can draw their own conclusions from. Um, I guess like if you do want to 
like have them come to that conclusion. I was I was surprised. I was just kind of surprised how like I was I was expecting the you know, the the kind of the signature moment of the monster carrying K away to its lair. I was Mm -hmm. expecting it to kind of happen earlier. Uh. So I was kind of surprised at how that seems to really only happen, like almost in like the last five minutes of the movie. Right. Um, And and there's and there's not that much tension to that entire sequence. It's just kind of like. The you know she's suddenly in the lair and mm-hmm. laid out and, and then, then she's they, immediately rescued exactly so um so yeah I think that like just just having there be more tension and more of a like oh like she's in the lair what's mm-hmm. gonna happen now right. like th- even if that doesn't necessarily give us more explicit proof of you know what the monster's interest in her was, though it's pretty strongly implied that it seems to have a romantic Mm -hmm. or lust connection with Mm her. Um, You know, at least, like, build up some of that tension and then let... And and, and give it a little more time and a Mm -hmm. little more, oh, are they going to get to her in time to, you know... To, to let the audience then fill, you know, again, you know, it's like horror. So you, like, let the audience then fill those moments of tension with, oh, God, what's going to happen? Right. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's, I, I agree with you completely. I feel like, uh, in fact, I feel like the end of the movie is really rushed. Uh, and uh, Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, just, just snaps right through. Mm-hmm. Like, and the movie is not a long movie. It doesn't even hit an hour 20 minutes. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, because I think the film has a, a pacing issue a little yeah. bit. Like, it, it definitely, I think, kind of drags in, like, the last third just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think for it to kind of drag like that and then have, you know, it, Kay's abduction right. be so rushed. It clips along until until the whole thing about clearing the logs. And, he, and we do have uh, Mark's death to break up that, but I do think that they spend way too much time trying to figure out how to clear those logs when... I mean, they were, they just look like fucking twigs to me. <laughs> they weren't even a like that well, I think, Yeah. Cause it's like, you have like twigs above the surface, yeah. but then there's like a big log underneath. Right. And uh, yeah. So, so again, that's probably partially just because of, you know, maybe technical limitations in terms of how much coverage they can maybe get. Maybe there but, was like more tension or suspense in all, on all of that, but there really isn't. Yeah. So I feel like I, I agree with you. I feel like that kind of stops the movie while they're trying to figure out how to get out of the lagoon. Yeah. Yeah, well, and especially because, like, you know, the monster's ability to ambush them is 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 somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Like, I think as long as they're all awake and alert, right? So, um, and yet so, he yeah. does a lot. Yeah, there's no one just like keeping watch for any reason. But that's the thing. Yeah, I was kind of like, you know, considering how many people were on the expedition, they really could have easily done like, you know, two two person guard right. watches, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. Um, now. Julie Adams actually she did all of her stunts for the film. Uh, she recalls that when they were filming the the swimming scenes, um, a lot of it. So what they used in the production, the water tank, you know, they they would uh, have it heated so that it was comfortable for her. But she recalls that um, sometimes they forgot to heat the tank prior to filming, and the water got particularly frigid. So she said that that was the most challenging part of making the film was the frigid water that she had to swim in. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, if the water's colder, that might be a little more comfortable for uh, for the creature yeah. stunt performer, too. Right. So uh, yeah, it's, who tough, knows? it's a tough balance to strike. Yeah, who knows how stifling that suit was. Yeah. 
But he moved pretty well underwater. All yeah, considered. he did. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, while while the movements, I think, didn't feel as creaturely as I would have hoped. Um, yeah, like certainly really, really, really strong swimming, far stronger swimming than I can do. I'll tell you that. Now, there's one sequence, obviously, we talked about where the where Julie Adams is carried by the creature into the grotto. Now, due to the limited visibility of the suit, uh, the stuntman actually accidentally strikes Miss Adams' head against the wall or the setting, the set wall. Um, Now, Julie Adams has stated that she was not knocked out. A lot of people think that she was knocked out by that because she looks pretty knocked out. But she says that she was just scraped. Her head was just scraped. And rather, she says that, you know, she was pretending to be unconscious. (laughs) That's why it looks like she was knocked out. And she had her eyes closed. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a danger when you have a suit that you can't really look out of and you have to walk through it. I mean, yeah. I remember once in, in college, I was in a play where I had to be blindfolded. Um, and I had to uh, walk out down this aisle right in the middle of where the audience was. And so usually, you know, I as long as my other actors positioned me where I needed to be, I could walk forward and you know just guess as long as i go straight i'm going down that aisle and then there was a, a theater aide on uh, waiting for me to you know to t- to guide me the rest of the way and i remember one time one performance i guess like my angle must have been just slightly off or something yeah and i kept like walking and walking slowly and acting while i was walking slowly and i kept waiting for you know the familiar grab of my shoulders to to lead me on the way and i couldn't i didn't feel anything and i was like kind of freaking out and i started circling a little bit and then before i knew it i bumped into like one of the audience members in the first row and i was like oh crap so i i lifted up my head and took a peek down the blindfold and then adjusted my way and got out of there. But it's difficult to death It's hard. Yeah, see. no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think, yeah, getting your visibility limited, yeah, is, is incredibly challenging because, like, you know, you <laughs> you have to be able to do everything safely. And um, and and so it's it's definitely a significant challenge when you get a sense like that deprived to um to continue to you know put your put your all into the performance mm-hmm. and uh and at the same time still make sure everything happens safely so and 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 any performer who does like you know you know creature costume work like that's that's incredibly demanding yeah. work and and they do, and and all those you know stunt performers who do that kind of work are are incredibly good at their work in terms of you know how 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 much they invest it with physicality how they have to work around like just the logistics of their suits how they have to work around being able to take in information and still do the work so it's yeah it's it's tough it's underappreciated and uh they're fucking rock stars let's go into our last segment this one's called uh, that's problematic and as a movie from the 50s, we got a few problematic things in this film. Absolutely. Um, certainly, uh, as we were saying earlier, um, con- considerable considerable number of red shirt deaths, most mm-hmm. of which tend to be, you know, non-white right. characters who are local and not scientists. And Yeah. In fact, we only have one scientist who is uh, a Latinx character. Um, uh, that would be Dr. Maya. Um, the rest of the scientists are pretty much American, I would yeah. say. 
And so the rest of the Hispanic or Latinx characters are just like native blue collar workers, pretty yeah. much. Uh, yeah. And then um, yeah. three uh, was it? We got five de- five deaths total, five human deaths, and four of them are the locals yeah. <laughs> dying. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and again, it's like if uh, it's it's like not only is it like you know shitty. Right. In general, um, to just to just kind of be like, oh, well, they're you know, they're not a part of the story. Mm -hmm. So it's it's no loss to to lose them. Right. Um, It's also kind of, you know, antithetical to, you know, the the film's possible theming that like if if we are kind of trying to go with a a film that wrestles with the idea of science's impact on nature Mm -hmm. and how nature fights back against that intrusion then the scientists probably should be the ones to suffer the consequences and not you know the people who live there and maybe have already established some sort of harmony with you know their locale where they right. live so and, yeah. e- and even dr maya i feel like e- e- even though we start the film with him he does end up taking like a back seat for the rest yeah of the he movie. does yeah it was interesting because because yeah he 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 definitely seemed pretty predominantly coded as as latinx mm-hmm. in the film and uh and and he's the person who makes the initial discovery um which is like pretty cool and right. significant so um so yeah it's it's kind of interesting yeah how how little input he kind of continues to have considering he was the one who found it and uh you know provided much of the initial reporting mm-hmm. that would allow them to make the expedition um, so. I was actually kind of surprised uh, when I was looking at the cast list because a lot of these movies, you know, they just flat out whitewashed a bunch of these roles. And I was actually surprised um, that for the most part, they did an okay job. I'm not going to say an excellent job, but they did an okay job of having um, Spanish speaking or Spanish background actors portraying the Latinx characters. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Maya was portrayed by Antonio Moreno, who was a Spanish actor. Cool. He's not from Latin America, but he's Spanish. Yeah, that's the thing. And 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 so yeah, there's there's definitely kind of like a a, a generalizing problem that you run into right. that Spanish is automatically Latinx. Right. Which right. It's so not like I case. said, it's an okay job. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At um, least you went with someone who speak spanish or is from spain yeah same with uh, captain lucas now we both talked about how he was basically a cartoon character of a uh riverboat like a spanish riverboat cat or a hispanic riverboat captain <laughs> a little bit yeah the grinning the chomping on the cigar the squinty eyes even when he pulls out the knife i thought that was like very cartoony <laughs> yeah that was that was a moment uh, i i didn't i didn't mind it so much from the angle of like hey i'm the fucking captain right. of this no boat. it works right like, so so yeah i'm definitely like yeah fuck yeah and i've know? seen movies and <laughs> tv shows with worse stereotypes yeah but um, but yeah, it seemed to be like a very coded role. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think I think 
yeah, the the grinning thing I, I found myself puzzled by throughout, just like... I mean, he seemed to have, like, a lay on a very thick accent, too, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, and, and especially because I think, like, you know, a, a captain, you know, a captain is 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 invested in the safety of their vessel, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they have a reputation to protect, so, yeah, being cheery like that all the time didn't, didn't track for me, necessarily, no, other than just, you know... He was portrayed by actor Nestor Paiva, mm-hmm. who was a Portuguese actor, so again... We're getting close, but eh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, Nestor was all, was pretty well known for for portraying um, Latino or Latinx coded characters in film. In fact, in fact, he was in the Spanish western series Zorro as well as the film Sign of Zorro, which were both produced by Walt Disney. Hmm. Um, and then uh, we got uh, Perry Lopez, who played. Uh, Tomas, one of the red shirts. We had uh, Bernie Gozer, who played Z. Um, then we go into like the little bit more of the ro- of the whitewashing. We got a Rod Redwing playing Lewis, uh, actually Luis, I guess would be his name, and Sidney Mason, who played Doctor Matos. Those are those are pretty white names there playing those yeah. Latinx characters. Yeah. Yeah, they did okay. They did okay. <laughs> they tried their they, best. Yeah, uh, and again, like for for the time period, like eh. uh. you know what I would have loved. I would have loved, and maybe if they ever remake this movie, great opportunity to do that. Um, I'm not saying that every character needs to be Latinx, but if they're if they're in the Amazon, at least one of your main characters, maybe even two of them should be Latinx. Like, maybe Kay can be Latinx, and maybe either Mark or David can be Latinx. Yeah. I would have loved that. I would have thought that would have rounded it out a little bit. Yeah. More. I mean, I think, again, like, a, 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 a remake of the movie would also just kind of benefit from, like, a little more specificity and nuance as far as, like, our team of, of explorers yeah. and scientists and, you know, a little a little, a little more of a sense of everybody has their, yeah, has their, their job that they do well, mm-hmm. um, uh, which... Which again, you'd mentioned it earlier, but the thing was is kind of I think like probably the best example of right. that in a horror film, like having that specificity and and having that because again, when you have that kind of specificity, then that allows for that allows for just like a natural dynamic absolutely. relationship Workplace network dynamic. between yeah. all of the characters. Alien and, does a good job of that too. Yes, absolutely agreed. Agree with that. Um, the other thing, this kind of like bleeds over from the last segment a little bit, but the other problematic thing is the whole idea of uh, monsters after after women. Like that whole trope just seems like it, it's obviously. I feel like comes from. Uh, I don't, I, I don't want to say rape fantasy, but it is kind of like rape fantasy in a way. A little bit, yeah. Well, I, I I found that I found that kind of interesting too because I think that like when you know there there's this there's this like there there seems to be like a, sort of a recurring conversation that the film is having about. Dave and Kay's relationship mm-hmm. about like you know there's like the crack at the beginning about like when are you two getting married right. um there's a little bit of like you know that that kind of like sweet moment between Dave and Kay at the beginning of their voyage where you know they're you're talking about how how well Dave kind of understands Kay mm-hmm. and stuff like that and um and uh, I uh there there's uh 
Yeah. So and and so there's there's kind of a, a, an interesting tradition of of yeah. Again, this this like dynamic of like yeah the the relationship between monsters and women and mm-hmm. what these films are specifically trying to say about sexual desire. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, I can think of, for example, King Kong with Fay Ray. Yeah, uh, and she was very, and she wears an iconic white dress in that too. And we see Kay wearing a white swimsuit in this. Yeah, so there seems to be a lot of like tropes associated with that. Yeah, um, uh, and and another example of that would be like Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, so I think like it's yeah, it's it's an interesting theme, and 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 I I think there there's certainly I think been a lot of like pretty in depth like film scholarship about about the the this kind of theming and messaging mm-hmm. and so i i don't want to necessarily wander too deep into it because i'm not as up on all right. that scholarship um i would uh i i would definitely uh uh i i would definitely uh, name check uh, a uh, a great lindsay ellis video mm-hmm. um uh obviously orlando and i are both yeah, uh, fans uh, yeah, of Lindsay Ellis' work, her channel, yeah. and and she actually has a a really great um, video on her channel called My Monster Boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, which was done uh, shortly after the release of The Shape of Water, where she actually goes really in depth into um, uh, analysis about monster films and the theming and messaging of sexual desire mm-hmm. and what the monster films specifically are saying about female desire for for a creature right like and and it's it's really fascinating really interesting it's been a while since i've seen this video um so i don't want to try to like summarize like any of her specific observations or conclusions from it mm-hmm. um but i i just wanted to mention it because i think it's it's really tremendous analysis and and uh, really speaks to this that that this is definitely a recurring theme in monster horror about mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that certainly as horror has evolved as a medium um obviously there is like a recurring incidence of like victimization of females right. mm-hmm. um and, and especially as I think slasher horror mm-hmm. um as as slasher horror uh, becomes more prominent and there is more more deadliness um certainly I think that 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 dynamic has gotten a little worse. I would Um, say that slasher films uh, are an evolution of the trope. I would say like the, the slasher, he's not like a furry, you know, monster or anything like that, but there's still something very malevolent about that. And then their interest for, in a lot of cases, virginal women. Well, that's, yeah, that's the other thing too, is that I think that, um, as, yeah, is that as, as the genre has evolved more and more, um, there's, there's definitely kind of been more of a coding or sorry, not a coding, but there's, there's been more of a, uh, you know, a, a stronger evolution of, of this kind of idea of, of a, uh, of, of moral consequences for people who are not virtuous mm-hmm. um and and sort of you know that that women who have sex in who, women who have sex in horror films end up being among the earlier victims right. of horror films along with minority characters again right um so so yeah it, it's it's all very interesting um uh, as as far as as it relates to this movie, um, again, I think it's it's unfortunate how passive Kay is, considering how capable she is, right. a, yeah. at least as the script says. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
so yeah, it, it is it is a little disappointing that she basically only serves the purpose of being carried away as a damsel um, to... I really liked, um, speaking, going back to King Kong, uh, not, not the original, but now talking about the, the Peter Jackson remake of yeah. King Kong. I really liked how that kind of took the trope and, uh, and it didn't like shake up the trope or subvert the expectation, but it at least gave it more of a deeper context. Like we see a, a growing relationship between Kong and uh, and uh, Naomi Watts's character, um, and we get an understanding to where like okay, so Kong is infatuated with her, and maybe she, like her interest towards Kong never becomes romantic, but she at least develops some sort of like uh, feeling for the yeah. beast. Um, and and I feel like that in, in a lot of these movies is really missing. It's like it's all about the creature's desire, but we never get how the woman feels apart from fear. Yeah, that's that's the thing, too, is that I think that like uh, there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point that you bring up about Peter Jackson's take on on the story of King Kong, because uh, because, yeah, I think there there is a lot there about what it's what it's trying to say about the monster as sort of a, a vessel for. I don't know if it's like just kind of like primal, like the power primal nature of desire right. on its own, right. and 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 so yeah, I I, I definitely liked that aspect of mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's King Kong that that Naomi Watts does kind of develop a a, a return of under like yeah, there is a, a deepening of understanding right. between the two of them. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's a real thing. And, and, and yeah, again, it's like, it just, it's, it's any attempt to get too deep into those themes is obscured in the case of Creature from the Black Lagoon by Mm -hmm. kind of how relatively voiceless Kay is. We don't, we don't get that much of a sense of what her strongest desires are in the movie right. she seems to be pretty passive and pretty deferential throughout mm-hmm. the film so um you know it, it would have been great to kind of get a better sense of whether she whether there is something that she is desiring like whether there is something to be said for what her feelings actually are towards both Mark and Dave. And obviously it's clear that there is some sort of obligation she feels towards yeah, Mark, right. but there's the, again, that question of whether it's just purely professional and it, and again, it all happens through info dump exposition with Edwin. So we don't really, right. we don't get as much, you know, room to kind of see it play out. And, and maybe that's because of the time, maybe because in the fifties, you know, you couldn't explicitly deal with those subjects, but that would have made the yeah. movie more interesting. I agree. I've, yeah. And I feel like if you, if you maybe use the creature as a metaphor for the turmoil between the three of them and kind of like work that angle, that would have been a little more interesting, you know? Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. So let's wrap up this discussion with our final thoughts. Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. What did you think? Is it a bad movie? So-so movie? Good movie? Great movie? Where do you fall? You know, in, in a way, I, I, I had... I, yeah, there, there are many things that I think, you know, I kind of struggled with with this movie, but there was also a lot that kind of took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I'm going to give it a good... Nice. I'm gonna just give it a good because, like, I think again, it's like it's 
it's clearly an incredibly influential film. Right. Um, and, and, you know, really, you know, executes a lot of well-worn tropes and was probably one of the first entries in the oeuvre of monster features to really, you know, iron out those tropes and um and 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 again also just like a, a lot of uh, a lot of really great work went into how they dealt with you know cinematography underwater mm, yeah um uh you know a, a fair amount of suspense which again is tough for a film that's that dated so mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that uh it's it definitely is is a pretty good film I agree. I think it's a good film. Um, I think that even though the film has lost a lot of its edge, like we talked about, it's it's definitely not as tense or suspenseful as it could be, but it's still a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the creature design is fun, and uh, there's enough scenes um, of interest to keep you hooked into the film. I feel like the performances overall were pretty good. Um, including, I thought, Kay, we, we, we didn't really talk about Julie Adams as an actress, but I thought that she was actually pretty good in it, even though she wasn't given a lot to do uh, yeah. towards the end of the movie. I thought, like, the, all, all of the guys were, were good, too. This is a kind of movie where I feel like I could watch a remake of this film. I could, I could definitely see, you know, someone making a good version, like a, a good remake version of this film and, like, really update a lot of the issues that we had, you know, uh, um, use better special effects, like give us more well-rounded characters, give, it, give us a more character drama, um, and then, you know, scare us a little bit. And, and, and I get that, why they don't do that, because as we both pointed out, there are a lot of movies that have been influenced by this movie, yeah. um, including like films that take place in the Amazon, like Anaconda, for example, you know, yeah. like... And and that's fine, but uh, it would it still would be fun to like see like an updated version of this film. I yeah, think. I, I yeah, I guess I'm not sure how much I yearn for one, but I'd certainly be curious about one. And yeah, I I'm think, not demanding and, it, but I would watch it. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely yeah, I'd be curious. I'd be mm-hmm. curious to see how what choices they would make to kind of translate it to today, and especially just considering how much influence it's had. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what do you what do you do to then? Make that story as a whole really pop today, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm not sure what that would what that would take, but um, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna go with the environmentalist angle, you could definitely do a story about climate change or something like that yeah. with uh, the creature defending his habitat. Yeah, and maybe Absolutely. maybe you have like one or two like upright scientists, but you could have like some you know loggers or something in there. Corp- yeah, corporate, corporate expansion. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's all it's all there gotta have the villains mm-hmm. all right well that was creature from the black lagoon thank you for watching this classic universal monster movie with me a genuine pleasure uh we hope that you guys join us next time where we're going to devour another schlocky masterpiece yummy until then don't go in the water no! go watch some movies mm, my toes. we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and violence you guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just sex. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just sex. You guys are always bringing the
we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just you guys always bring the this violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just you guys always bring the this violence. Just I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just.